0: Mark chapter eight is where we're at and we're gonna look at the first 10 verses and I've uh, sort of back and forth on this a little bit. I'm, um, it, to me, it's a remarkable text. It's one that you'd be familiar with and know mostly as the feeding of the 4,000 where Jesus and his disciples uh, feed all these people that have been with Jesus for three solid days and they're trying to figure out how to disperse them and I just wanna take a moment to read the text and you can follow along as you wish and then just make some notes on some of the things that take place here. The perspective I really wanna look at is what I will call the making of a disciple because Jesus seems to zero in more on his disciples and how they're interacting to this than the idea of feeding the 4,000. I know we get enamored and thrilled by looking at the miracles that Jesus does, especially when they have very little resources and he multiplies that to feed all kinds of people and have leftovers. But even more importantly, Jesus is using this really simple event to teach his disciples about things related, I believe, to disciple making. What he's training them to do is to represent him in the world. And so it begins in chapter eight, verse one, saying this. In those days when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me for now three days and have nothing to eat and if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from far away. It's not sounding like an over spiritual passage at this point, but he continues. And the disciples answered him and said, well, how can we feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, well, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd and they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that there also should set before them. And they ate, were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven basketfuls, and there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away and immediately got into the boat with his disciples. And went to the district of Delamatha. You know, Jesus was always on point, trying to teach his men something. Uh, and this is what I love about this: is this isn't on the synagogue on Sunday morning, where he's teaching them lessons and having them work through a workbook. This is sort of real life. And if there's anything that this reminds me of, is that if you and I are going to be a disciple, that Jesus is going to follow Jesus in authentic ways. It's not just about gathering on Sunday mornings, it's about how we live out in the world. That may not be anything new to you, but it's always the challenge for us to consider what is it that Jesus is calling to, and in this particular passage we see at least a small element of the way that Jesus tried to train his men to be authentic followers of Jesus, and I want to touch on those a little bit this morning, and, and just kind of grab a little bit of the sense of what Jesus was trying to do. The first priority that Jesus has in terms of making disciples, he's connecting them with the, the masses. He's connecting them with people they don't normally hang with even though they've been with him for three days. They've come from all distances because Jesus is the main attraction. They've come to hear Jesus. Uh, the disciples, I would suspect at this time, see themselves as the support group. You know, I mean, if you have a, a, somebody who's a youth pastor in a church, you get sometimes young adults or other leaders to help and they don't always see the ministry the same way the youth pastor does. The youth pastor owns this because that's what he's getting paid for. We're here because we're help, and we'll fill in the blanks and we'll meet with kids, but sometimes you and I both know if I'm not in charge of something, it's hard for me to own the ministry. I'm here to help, I'm here to do my best, I wanna give, and boy, thank the Lord for volunteers and individuals who are willing to invest themselves in others. But Jesus has these men here, and they know that Jesus is the main attraction, but suddenly they come up to this sense of Jesus pausing everything and goes, hey guys, hang on for a minute. We've got a small problem here, and I I want you to see that we have a responsibility to these people. And and so what Jesus does is often he he does something that we often separate, and that is the whole idea of disciple-making is, not only about evangelism but it's also teaching people to obey all that Christ commanded. That was his statement in Matthew chapter 28. And at the heart of this, the danger is is we tend to separate those things. Well there's evangelism and then there's discipleship. Jesus never separates the two. If a church and an individual is a disciple of Jesus, reaching out to people who don't know Jesus and sharing the gospel is part of disciple making. That was the whole point of Matthew 28. That's the whole point of what he's doing here is that it's not just now about them coming to hear me teach. They've got needs that we're gonna step into and we're gonna meet. And so he connects them to the crowd and he wants them to know that they need to be involved in this more than just listening to Jesus teach and talk to them. And so Jesus connects him and he wants to train his individuals that the crowds are important. That the people that they don't hang out with Uh, on a regular basis as friends, that group of people out there is important and valuable. And and so Jesus then helps connect them to these individuals by saying, basically, disciple making, if you're gonna follow me, happens in real people's lives, in real places, it's not just on church on Sunday morning. And I think one of the challenges for the American church is to get out of the idea that discipleship, that following Jesus, isn't about weekend event planning where we come together and do our thing, it's about following Jesus into the world and doing his thing. And we'll never catch the heart of Jesus if we think that it's just about coming on Sunday or coming on Wednesday night to a program. If we're not following Jesus into the real lives of people that are not comfortable necessarily in this environment, we have not understood the nature of disciple making. And so Jesus' tactic is to place them in the middle of his ministry in the world. Nothing new to us, but often very different than the way we live. And Jesus is something that's very difficult at times for those who want to help move alongside others and help them grow and disciple them, is that it's easy to do it in a classroom. It's much more difficult to join arms and do it in the real world. One, because our schedules are all so nuts that you could get two of us together on any given month on any particular day at the same hour is like a miracle in and of itself. And so Jesus takes them along and the statement I want to remind you of is this, God may call people out of the world to follow him but he calls the disciples to be in the world walking with them. Let me ask, how many non-Christian friends do you have? How how often do you rub shoulders with people that are not like you, That, that you might share common things with, but they don't come on Sunday morning, they may not be interested in Sunday morning, they may not be interested in religious things at all, but the question is, how many people do you have in your life that you're connecting with that don't know Jesus? God may call people out of the world to follow him, but God calls his disciples to be in the world walking with them this priority of connecting is that Jesus suddenly puts the brakes on everything after three days of teaching. I don't know, they obviously lived in a different culture. Because if I said we're gonna spend July 4th weekend and we're gonna do three days of teaching and I'm gonna be the only one teaching and you're gonna be here Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, you'd leave before this sermon would be done. You just wouldn't tolerate, we, we, ha- we don't have that kind of attention span. They don't have the distractions we had. Now if we podcasted some of that and we did some drama and all that kind of stuff, might be able to keep you for part of the day today, but it just wouldn't last. It's just not part of our culture. So Jesus has these people out in the wilderness in a desert place and they've been with them for three days interacting and teaching and listening to the words of Jesus. That'd be astounding. Wouldn't it it be amazing to be just listening to Jesus teach and talk about the gospel and truth and all the things that he may have talked about? We're not told here what he talked about, but boy, wouldn't you give anything to be a fly on the wall for that? But Jesus stops and he says, well, listen, hang on, guys. He calls his disciples over to him and he says, listen, we've got this small dilemma. These people have been here three days. They've listened to me teach Now, it's not that the ministry's over, but we've got a different ministry we've gotta do here, and these people, we gotta feed them. And the disciples uh, are suddenly taken back by this because they're spectators, they're the support team. They're kinda like cheering Jesus on and maybe helping interact with people and answering questions about Jesus and that kinda thing, but they're the support group, and all of a sudden Jesus says, hey guys, we need to do something about this. And and the, the, the centerpiece in this is that ministry isn't just about the preaching and teaching. It's about how you live and care for people. And that's one of the things that historically sometimes the church has done in amazing ways, and other times they've done it very poorly. Uh, one review that I got from an assignment I have in relationship to a project that I'm working on is someone reacting to uh, my statements on the Lord's Prayer and I won't get into the details but one of the comments that came back is how in the world are you gonna take a sort of archaic culture with a sort of a theological disposition of a patriarchal society and make any sense of it because we're in a relationship bound culture not in a religious driven thing. How in the world is the Lord's Prayer gonna make any sense to us at all? Now, whether you agree with that sentiment or not, we live in a world that's super skeptical of religion and church and everything else. They don't want it, they don't need it, they have no interest in it. And part of that may be our own fault just based on how we act, but the, the importance is Jesus is trying to show these men is your behavior and how you treat people out there is, is not something instead of the ministry, it is the ministry. And the world doesn't need us to be hearing us grumbling and complaining. They need to know whether we care about who they are. And and it comes to this spot that I wanna make a quick distinction in terms of our lives. What Jesus says is, I have compassion for them. Now this has come up before and I talked about it as being absolutely the essential ingredient to ministry because I will challenge you to say, you show me a person who doesn't have compassion and I'll show you a person who doesn't care about people. Now, there's a difference. We often talk of, use different English words. We talk about sympathy. Uh, sympathy is one of these words that we like. It's the inclination to think or feel alike. The empathy is so great that whatever affects one also affects the other. That's why when some of you sitting at a movie theater watching a movie, if it gets sentimental enough, you'll start crying just like everybody else is. There's others that'll look at that and go, you know, you crybabies are just annoying. Why in the world are you crying? This is just a made-up movie, and you're crying about it. But people with high levels of empathy, doesn't matter whether the movie's true or not, they can put themselves in the shoes of others and understand their circumstances, that it literally compels them and moves them. But but in a movie theater, all you can do is sympathize. Sympathy as I can feel the same thing those actors are feeling, but I can't do anything to fix it. One, because it's a made-up movie, but I, I... That's the nature of sympathy. I can identify with how they're feeling and what they're struggling with, but that's as far as sympathy tends to go. The nature of compassion is to experience great affection for someone resulting in taking action to meet the need. Let me give you a quick couple of examples. Jesus certainly said this in Matthew 9. He had compassion on the crowds, and so he proclaimed the gospel and was healing them. So compassion drives them. The other place that you'll see it is in Luke 10 about the Good Samaritan. Remember that story? Man walking along and he gets beat up by thieves and then a priest and a scribe come by and they sympathize with him. They come and look at the guy and went, wow, that's gotta hurt. But they go, yeah, not, not, my, not my responsibility. And so they just do kind of an end run around him and keep on going and that's Sympathy. But a Samaritan comes by and he looks at this guy and he doesn't even hesitate for a second. He goes over, as we're told in the text, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he sent him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. See, if you, I, I, we can debate the nuances of that, but I'll say lots of people have tremendous sympathy for individuals, but will never do anything to help. And I'll suggest biblically, whenever you see the word compassion, it's they have great angst for the person and what they're going through, but compassion always results in reaching out and actually doing something to help people. Now, unfortunately, in life, I think I've had a lot more sympathy for people than I've had compassion. We've just got way too many excuses my personal safety, my busy schedule. I've got obligations, I don't know what I'm walking into. I mean, the list goes on and on about why we can't get involved. And there there's maybe legitimate boundaries for us to understand that, but the issue is is that we've easily can develop a Christian culture that sympathizes a lot but has no compassion. And so at the heart of this, we're reminded by Jesus that one of the highest priorities in terms of the mission of the gospel is, is our compassion for lost people. And you and I can claim to believe in the gospel, but if I never share it with anybody, then I can sympathize with them, but I don't have the compassion to actually take the risk to help them. And Jesus demonstrates for his men is that he's very explicit about it. I have compassion for them. You're gonna help me. I always hate these dictatorial leaders who are just gonna tell you what you're gonna do and how to do it but he's training his men to do something that they don't know how to do. They they need to take his lead from someone who has the vision and the heart and the know-how how how to reach out to people, and that's kind of why the crowds are there anyway is because of Jesus. But the compassion is the compelling reality of whether we actually get involved, whether we actually share the gospel, whether we actually walk across the street to the neighbors, whether we actually carve time in our schedules to make room for individuals that aren't our closest friends or part of our family so that we have the possibility of doing something for them, whether it's communicating the gospel or meeting needs. And so Jesus challenges his men, and he simply says, hey, these guys have been with us three days, they're hungry, we need to do something about it. And the disciples, of course, go like, seriously? We haven't got enough food to feed ourselves, much less 4,000 people. You've got to be kidding me. Jesus says, well, if we send them away, there, half of them are going to pass out on the way home. We can't do that. And so Jesus poses them a question that they have to struggle with. Now, it may seem like fairly insignificant, but I want to suggest to you that disciple-making will always have these elements where we have to struggle on, are we going to do this? Are we going to meet this need? Is this what God really wants us to do? I mean, Jesus is sitting right there and saying, hey, look, I'm bringing up the issue. I want you to be involved in meeting this need, and they're still kind of going like, well, we don't know like, how this is going to work. And I would challenge you that whenever you follow Jesus, he's going to create scenarios that you're not going to be able to figure it out. If you're not comfortable with that, you know what I've done in the past and what I suspect you'll do? Hey, Jesus, I need a bit of a game plan here. Like, I, I want you to tell me like what we're gonna do and I wanna know how long this is gonna take because I've got an appointment at four o'clock. And, and I, know it's a, I need to know what you're asking of me. Is this gonna cost me any money? Is this gonna, is, what do I need to sacrifice to do this? Because I've only got so much leeway here and if it doesn't fit my schedule, I'm, I'm just gonna have to bow out. And Jesus doesn't tell them everything. He just says, Look, you guys need to be part of the solution. And they have to struggle with the idea of how do we do this? We don't know. And they're out of their comfort zone. And they really don't have the means to do this. And I will propose to you that based on this text, that discerning what ministry or mission we do is more important or is more about what the Lord is leading us to do than what we can do for Jesus. The disciples didn't come up with this. Hey, Jesus, here's a need. Jesus came to them saying, here's the need. They didn't come to Jesus going like, you know, half these people are complaining because they're starving to death. And I will propose that what Jesus is demonstrating for those who want to be his disciples is that Jesus always takes the lead on these things. That he's the one that points out where the need is. He's the one that has to put on our heart to reveal, here's what's going on, and I want you to be involved in the solution. And deciding how to do ministry and mission is first and foremost a willingness to obey Jesus rather than what we want to do for others. See, Jesus, in this particular scenario, tells the crowd to sit down in groups. He, he, basically, it's an order. It says he directs them to sit down in groups, he has them bring whatever food they have, he blesses it and multiplies it, and the disciples are just kind of sitting there going like, wow, this is pretty impressive. And Jesus hands them all these baskets full of food and he says, here's, here's the one thing I'm asking you, just go serve them. Just go serve people, just go and feed them. Just meet their need. Now I could see someone like Peter going like, well, you know, don't, wouldn't you want one of us to preach or something? Like, I can do that. Like, why, why don't I preach a message? That would be kind of cool. Jesus, Jesus is saying, look, just take the food and serve it. Give it to people. And it becomes one of those things that what we do and how we do it always needs to, I believe, come from his leading, not from our creativity. Because then we know that we're building his and serving his kingdom, not building our own. The commitment that Jesus wants from them is just simple obedience. Do you have enough confidence in me that you're just going to do what I'm saying? I. It's possible. I know I would, might do this as It'd be easy for one of them to say look, we've been traveling around with you, we're your disciples and you want us to like serve food? Like, you know, if this is an American discipleship cohort, they'd be going like, well wait a minute, this is kind of beneath me, why, why you ask me to do this? We're supposed to be your like, your proteges, your disciples, like give us something really important to do. And at the heart of this, Jesus asked them for their resources which they don't have enough of He directs the crowds to sit down and Jesus still has to get involved in order to provide what's necessary for the disciples to be successful at what he's asking them to do. And he simply gives his men a responsibility to say, listen, if we're going to carry out this mission to the full, it wasn't just the three days of teaching, but we're going to meet this physical need of this people before we send them off. It's not a menial responsibility if Jesus asks you to do it. When I was in Portland, um, we had a chance where we discovered that one of the toilets was plugged up. And uh, we didn't have anybody around, and the things, like, stunk. And so I asked uh, my admin, I said, listen, where's the stuff to get this thing done? I'll just go and do it. And she goes, well, wait a minute. We didn't hire you to do this. And I said, well, are you going to go do it? (laughs) She goes, no, 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 we gotta gotta get the trustees to do it. I'm kind of like, look, the moment that we lose sight of the fact that certain tasks and service to people is beneath us, then I think we're in trouble. We never get to a position where we think that something is too menial if we're doing it to serve the Lord. And I've lived with that motto for years and years and years. Do I do it perfectly? Absolutely not. Still have a lot to learn But one thing I learn is that there should never be any task, any responsibility too menial or mundane or beneath me that I wouldn't be willing to do it for Jesus. Because the moment I get there, then I start developing a God complex that I'm more important than I really am. One of the things that we had happen here a couple of weeks ago is we had Beam in here. It was the Baptist International Evangelical Ministry. Uh, Sam Slobodian and the two Ukrainian pastors that were here, uh, they came and visited us. And the Lord kinda put it on our heart that we wanted to encourage them and they came expecting nothing. But as we talked about it and mused on it as elders, we kinda went, well, Sam has history here in this church and he's doing a ministry to a people that uh, really have some needs. And so we just kind of felt the Lord putting it on our heart that we wanted to do something extra for them. And so what I want to propose to you this morning and what we're going to do is that we are going to take a love offering and a gift for them. And we wanted to conclude it on the 16th of this month, but I've asked uh, the trustees to open up a portal on our website to give to Beam, which is Sam Slobodian, and I want to invite you to join with us to give a love offering to them to encourage their ministry. And it'll conclude on the, tw- on the 16th, so we will, we'll, we'll open up an opportunity for you to give there if you don't get a chance. But if you want to give ahead of time, I encourage you to go to the website or the app and give through the portal. It should say Beam on it. It should say Slamp, Sam Slobodian, however you spell that. But the other thing that we talked about with them is that uh, one of, I think it was Eugene, he invited, he came to me afterwards and through Sam, he says, we'd love you to come over and start teaching some of our pastors. And I said, well, I said, we'll have to think about that. But what it did trigger in my mind is that one of the things that we want to do in terms of our vision frame is that we not only want to communicate the gospel, but we want to make disciples and we want to, plant churches, which is what they do. And so I called Sam yesterday and I said, I would like to sit down with you or talk on the phone about exploring if that's a possible relationship that we could have. And he went, no. No, he didn't say that. He he said, I'd love to do that. So what we'd like to do over the next couple weeks is invite you to help us encourage them with just being generous towards supporting them and giving them encouragement in a place that doesn't have the freedoms that we have here. And we're gonna sit down and chat with them to say, is it possible that we could start sending teams of people to help train their leaders and to create disciples and to help with their church planting movement? We haven't made any commitments, we're exploring it. We believe Jesus could possibly be giving us an opportunity in front of us that we're going to now have to struggle with because Jesus hasn't given us all the answers. That we have to sort of sit down and explore it and, and we may have to pray about it, but a lot of it is, to, Lord, is this something you want us to step into? Because it meets with our vision frame to, to make more of an impact outside of this building and to be generous with good works to plant churches and to get involved to help make disciples around the world. And so I will invite you to be praying with us But I hope that you will take the time over the next couple of weeks, if not when you come back on the 16th, to say, listen, Lord, can we give to this to encourage these people in this ministry? And I hope you'll join us for it. But the conviction that I think Jesus wants to put into his men is is first and foremost learning to trust Jesus. They know they don't have enough resources. They're not even quite sure what their role is entirely other than what Jesus said. And and Jesus wants them to say, listen, you need to have confidence in me first and foremost. And your commitment is going to be that you need to serve me and what I'm calling you to do. It, It isn't based on whether you think the crowd's worthy of it or not. You know, it'd be easy for them to say, well, Jesus, you know, they didn't say amen enough over the last three days. I don't think they really care about what you're saying, so why should we serve them? There's not enough people that came forward and so I don't think they're interested so why should we serve them? And the issue that Jesus is trying to teach them is you don't decide your commitment to serve Jesus and the gospel based on the crowd and their reaction. It's on Jesus' call and his responsibility that he wants you to do. See, what happens in too many of our spaces up here is that we start exegeting the crowd and the people and we decide whether they're worthy of our attention or not. We decide whether it's going to be worth my effort and my resources to go and invest in certain people. And I get the idea of being good stewards. But Jesus is asking his disciples, like, we want you to feed them. it's kind of like, dude, what are you talking about? We haven't got enough food here to feed us. And Jesus is teaching them that they have to rely on Jesus to step in to make this successful. And so the priority for the disciples is a commitment to serve Christ first, not the cause. Their commitment is to learn to make a commitment to serve Christ first, not the cause. And if I was them, it would be like, I don't know if this is a good use of resources. They're here today and gone tomorrow. And yet, this is what Jesus calls them to do in this particular moment. I uh, was reading an article by a friend of mine. His name is Justin Kravitz. He works with uh, Church Discipleship Ministries, and he gave an article that talked about five levels of obedience. And I read this, and I went, oh, yeah, I can see myself in here. Maybe you can see yourself. I just want to finish by reading through these and Trying to help you think about your own commitment to Christ, not necessarily the cause. First level is this, inconsistent obedience, I'll do what I want. Well, we know we got people around that that is, you know, I'll serve Jesus in my way and I'll do what I want. Hey, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. (laughs) I have the freedom to do whatever I want to. Level two is conditional obedience. If God gives me what I want, then I'll give him what he wants. And you'll run into, sometimes when you look in the mirror, you go, oh, yeah, that sort of looks familiar. But sometimes you run into Christians that this is what it is. is I'll, if God gives me what I want, then I'll give him what he wants. The third condition Is provisional obedience, I'll give God what he wants as long as he meets my needs. I'm sure the disciples were going like, you know, we've been here for three days too. We're starving as well. If you feed us first, then we'll have the strength to feed them. Level four is future happiness obedience. I'll give God what he wants, believing in faith that at some point I'll get what I need and I want, what I want. And of course, the fifth one is this, unconditional obedience. I'll simply give God what he wants, period. You know, it's it's easy when you deal with life and schedules and busyness that it's easy to and in some respects a necessity for us to learn to say no to certain things. But I wanna reiterate something I've said in the past and that is God's not interested in spectators or volunteers. He wants individuals who wanna be fully committed disciples of Jesus who will say in their heart, I'll give God what he wants without any conditions. Is that where your heart lives this morning? Is that the attitude of your spirit? I read a story by a gentleman named Clark he was uh, Him and his friend uh, Gavin were helping a youth pastor with an overnight activity with kids. And as the night got in, everyone of course was getting tired and the fellowship hall, as it were, had a ping pong table in it and they decided to play ping pong. And they were both pretty good at it and they were getting into this pretty ferocious battle of ping pong. And they were getting down to the last set and they were like, one of them needed like three points to win the whole thing and all of a sudden one of the grade eight girls came in and when the ping pong ball fell off the table she grabbed it and started running around with it and wouldn't give it back. And it's kind of like, we're we're right down to the last point here. And the first feeling that this particular gentleman had was he was irritated. And he was almost going to snap at her, and all of a sudden, the verse that they had done in staff meeting earlier that day came to mind, which happened to be 1 Corinthians 13, that love is patient, love is kind, so on and so forth. And so there was just something about the Spirit of God, like, get over yourselves, don't say anything. As the evening went on, uh, her name was Tracy. She uh, obviously finally tossed the ball back to them. They finished their game, and they went on with their activities. Ours, they showed an evangelistic film about the person of Jesus. Um, And to their surprise, there were several kids that went forward, and Tracy went forward to receive Christ. And as far as I know, this is a true story, but she said when she got up later and was talking with them, she said, well, I grew up with a family that was really dysfunctional nobody went to church the only way that I could get attention from anybody is if I made them mad so I would do things to tick people off and that's the only way I got any attention from anybody so she says I took that that ping pong ball because I was feeling alone and not feeling part of the group and I was just trying to get attention from somebody but you guys didn't react the way my family reacted And she said, there was something there that clicked inside of me that whatever they had, she wanted, and that's why she went forward and accepted Christ. See, my point this morning is you don't have to feed 4,000 people to prove that you're a servant of Jesus, but he does want you to act differently in how you respond to the selfishness of others and, and the chaos that happens in your life and when plans change. That he wants us to show that love is kind and patient and gentle. Regardless of what other people are doing, Jesus wants us to be disciples who will give God exactly what he wants and that's our whole heart and our whole life. So that whether we're seeing God do a miracle or whether it's dealing with somebody who's being selfish and trying to provoke people because that's the only way they can get attention you can make a difference if you're a disciple of Jesus. But it requires a commitment that you're here to serve Jesus before you're here to entertain the crowds. It's here because I want God to put in my heart compassion that compels me to care about people that irritate me. Because this was a training ground that Jesus used to show his disciples That while teaching truth and sharing the gospel was critical about caring for people and showing Jesus in the way that I treat and act towards them is just as vital if the world's gonna see the hope of Jesus and the hope of the gospel. Does Jesus have your whole heart? What level of obedience typically portrays you? Which one do you want it to be? Father, we bow before you because you have allowed us to grow up in a country that is overflowing with the abundance of things that would convince most people that we don't need you. And yet being a disciple of Jesus isn't about how much we get, it's what do we give. How do we serve Christ in the midst of a world that is choking on its own stuff and suffocating under the weight of the challenge of freedoms and fighting over each other's toys? Father, whether it's seeing a miracle change a whole crowd or whether it's the attitude of an individual that helps change one life, I pray that we would understand that only those who are disciples of Jesus with the compassion of Christ and a commitment to serve him unreservedly regardless of the menial task you may give us to do, that we are overjoyed with the privilege to serve our Savior, no matter what the job, no matter what the responsibility, no matter how grandiose or how menial, that we might serve your purpose and your kingdom and not ourselves. And for this we pray in Christ's name, amen.